Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Die Hard Hoops podcast. Uh, today, Steve and I are planning on revisiting the latest series from the Eastern Conference. And so we now have our two teams that are uh, going to be duking it out here in the next couple of days for the Eastern Conference finals. Uh, but I did ask for a couple of minutes on the Los Angeles Clippers. Steven, we texted one text just saying how disappointed we were in the way that this series is shaped up in terms of kind of wanting the Clippers to, to meet the Lakers. I'm really liking this Denver team. The more I'm watching the Clippers and seeing that they had this 3-1 lead and they have players like Kawhi and Paul George that I think should have shut the series down by now. Um, it's like they're playing as though they've won something before and not in a good way. Or this morning I was thinking maybe they just don't want to be in the bubble anymore. Um, the Their bench and the guys that they bring in like Lou Williams and Harrell is what has really helped them out in the regular season. And that has not been an advantage anymore either. And so the more I'm thinking about it, I'm just like, maybe they don't want to be there. Um, and not that they would lose purposely, but just it's going to factor into whether you're competing or not. And Denver is also a good enough team that you just can't give them any room because Jokic and, and Murray are going to take advantage of that. So I'm surprised that it's going seven. I still think the Clippers are going to pull it out in this seventh game. Um, but it is not boding well heading into the uh, Lakers series. I think that the, there's, there's a lot of different factors that go into why this has gone seven. Um, one, I, I really think that the Denver defense has really picked up. I was not impressed with Denver's defense in round one. They got Gary Harris back. He's a dog. He's been a huge boost to that team. He's another body that they can throw at Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. Um, when Paul George was admittedly having some kind of emotional struggles in the first round of the playoffs, that was a little bit of a wake-up sign to say, oh, man, your, your goal is to win a championship, and there's three rounds coming after this. And so it's, it's um, hard to say you're going to be right back locked in if you've had those types of struggles at the, essentially the beginning of the playoffs. Um, so that's a factor. You talked about you know, Harrell and Lou Williams coming off the bench. Yeah, basically non-factors. I mean, Jokic has destroyed Harrell. Um, he looks like a very below average player out there. Lou Williams um, had the, you know, had shenanigans at the beginning of, of the bubble, right? I mean, there there's a bunch of different things, but I think the biggest, the biggest issue with this Clipper team if you took Kawhi and put him on the Raptors from last year, that Raptors team was much better than this current Clippers team. And the, the big reason is they don't have Kyle Lowry complimented Kawhi Leonard so, so much. Those two were a perfect team because Kyle Lowry as a point guard, very vocal, getting everyone organized. In many ways, he did a lot of what Kawhi Leonard doesn't do. Kawhi Leonard was able to be Kawhi Leonard while still having a team that had the leadership, all the communication, all the organization taken care of by a top level player being Kyle Lowry. There is no player like that on the Clippers. 
Paul George isn't that that type of guy. Um, Pat Beverly, if you want it, is clearly not that type of guy. I mean, he's he's a trash talker in a sense. Um, Pat Beverly, I think, was really really injured. I mean, for him to miss as many games as he did and then come back, I think it, it shows like he had a pretty pretty significant injury to miss that much time. And he's even when healthy, he's not going to be that type of difference maker. And defensively, the Clippers have some strong defensive players individually. Their team defense is awful. Their offense in, reflects a lot of their defense. Their offensively, they have some great individual scorers, but they do not play as a team offensively either. Um, and so when you, when you watch them play, you just see all of these holes because there's not a cohesive unit offensively or defensively. Their help side defense is, is terrible. Their multiple actions on the offensive end of, you know, even a drive kick swing is, is not there. And one, one thing that a lot of the really good teams have today, and Denver's a great example of it, is they have a variety of players who can just catch it and pull it. Right, who can just the ball? We've drawn a double. We're quick swinging out and pop, pop, and somebody pulls pulls a shot. Even the Lakers have shown at times when they're they're doing well that they have some players that can do that. Who is that player on the Clippers? Yeah, I mean, sometimes you see Jermichael Green pull one out there, um, but they don't. I mean, it's not going to be Beverly. You would hope it would be Lou Will, but it hasn't been. And it's not Lou Will's game. Lou Will dribbles. He He's a creator. He's a ball screen guy. He's an ISO guy off the dribble. He's not going to boom, catch, and pull off of a double team and a defensive rotation. Paul George can, can do some of that. Kawhi Leonard can do some of that. But that's also the problem is that some of their best catch-and-shoot guys are the guys that need to be doing the, the creating. And then you need to have role players – catch and pull it. And so we're definitely seeing some holes in this, this Clippers team. Um, but at this point now, I wanted the Clippers to win because I thought they had the best chance to win in the, the title. I like Kawhi Leonard's game because he's just about his business. Um, but watching the Denver team and seeing, man, who, who could really give the Lakers trouble? I'm leaning towards Denver. I'm right. leaning toward Denver being a team that gives them more trouble um, because of the the personnel that they have and the fact that Jokic is such a unique player. I think he could give Anthony Davis a lot of problems, whereas Anthony Davis is going to have a field day against Zubac and Harrell for the Clippers. Yeah, I mean, it would you'd probably be forced to put Kawhi on him, you know, in some of those third quarters, third and fourth quarters, I would think, at times. Um, so Denver <laughs> – I mean, maybe maybe they are proving that they would be the better matchup for the for the Lakers. I don't know if it's time yet to kind of throw in the towel on the star power that the Clippers have in a series against Lakers, but Denver, man, they're doing what they have to do. So that game seven is going to be really exciting. Um, let's jump back to the Eastern Conference. So do you want to discuss the more disappointing of the series first, which is um, the Miami Heat and the Milwaukee Bucks? What were your takes on that? Yeah, so with – with Milwaukee and Miami, obviously we both picked Miami to win the series. I thought it would go six. I can't remember. I think I picked six games in the previous um, podcast that we did with our predictions. It's scary how correct I've been with these predictions. Um, 
But looking at, at that series and you look at some of those, some of those games, um, there were games that were clearly decided by the heat. And then there were a couple that were either or, and those generally went to, went to Miami and I'm looking at, um, game one. All right. So I'm looking at game one. And when you look at what happened in game one, Giannis had 18 points, 10 rebounds, nine assists. Middleton had 28 points. So a really solid game for him. Brooke Lopez had 24. And so you're thinking, okay, Giannis, like him to score, you know, probably 25 or 30. But if we're getting that type of, of boost from those guys, somebody else is going to hit some shots here and there. And we're going to be able to, you know, have a good chance to, to win this game. Um, it was closer than you think. Like the stats say 115-104. That was the game Jimmy Butler had 40 and yeah. just took over. Um, so to, to look at that and say, okay, we had three guys play pretty well, but we didn't have the fourth quarter guy to separate himself from everybody else. And I think it just shows some of Jimmy Butler's value um, in this series. He did it scoring. He also did it simply passing and drawing attention. And it also goes to show the depth of Miami. Um, generally, we're not talking a lot about depth in the playoffs because you don't need as much depth. There's more breaks within within the game. There's, you know, everybody goes to a, a shorter bench. Um, but that's the interesting thing about Miami. Out of all the teams left in the playoffs, they go deep and it, they're kind of a Swiss army knife. I mean, they'll play Iguodala, they'll play Nunn, they'll play Hero, they'll play Olenek, right? They got Dragic, Robinson, Adebayo, Crowder, Butler. I mean, those are, those are nine guys. A lot of the teams that you watch, they're really only going like seven deep right now. And so it's unique that Miami has the ability to adapt and throw out lineups of, hey, who's playing well tonight? Okay, cool. Um, heroes, heroes on tonight. So we're going to give him more run. We're going to pull Robinson back a little bit. Or Olenek, maybe, maybe he's not a great matchup for this team, but he's a really solid backup setter, and we can give him a lot of run depending on the team that we're playing. Iguodala and Nunn would be playing for a lot of teams, I think, more minutes than, than they are for the Heat. Just that that luxury of having such great depth combined with a variety of players that can defend, man, they, they befuddled for lack of a better word, Milwaukee. Yeah. When we had talked about this series, I mean, it, it played out very close to how we thought it would, except I think that the heat even amplified some of the things that we thought that they were already going to do well. And the bucks looked in many ways, even worse. You'd spoken to, the games where it was a pretty well-rounded effort from uh, those Bucks teammates of Giannis, and that he wasn't necessarily able to put up his his usual numbers in a lot of those games. And so you're just seeing, and if you would look at Twitter, you would definitely see it, the, the hate for Giannis and how quickly I think people are kind of turning on him, wondering like, hey man, when are you gonna when are you gonna figure it out? I think it's still early. Um, but people can get really impatient with these types of things where a guy is collecting MVPs and then 
you know, for lack of a better term, starts to flame out in the playoffs and isn't able to, to provide the same things he could in the regular season. And that was the difference in the series is that the Bucks' best player is not going to get you fourth quarter buckets in the way that the Heat's best player, Jimmy Butler, can get buckets but also make plays and swing out to those shooters that he has. And you have guys on the Heat that are just are super confident. And it comes from, you know, you'd alluded to Kyle Lowry. It's that same, it's that same effect that Jimmy has on his teammates where they just they're like, all right, let's do this. Jimmy's tough, but he he believes in me. And so you have guys like Hero that are performing in the playoffs, maybe like a year or two ahead of schedule, like from what you would expect from a guy like that. He's only 20 years old. Uh, Duncan Robinson, who, I mean, it's crazy that he's even in the NBA and he's starting for this team and then the depth that they have. And so I think about the depth too, that you mentioned, and that depth is oftentimes thought of as just going to the deeper into the bench. But I also think too, depth is, like how consistent are each of your starters and can they be depended on? And that's the story for the Bucks all the time is like, by and large, the five heat starters, you can depend on them in some way or another to do their thing every game. And the Bucks don't have that. What are you going to get from Eric Bledsoe? I don't know. Uh, what are you going to get from Chris Middleton? You'll probably get a really nice second or third quarter run from him. But is he going to be able to do that same type of scoring in the fourth quarter? Not necessarily. And so um, that's the difference is that they just, they're rosters and it was a bad matchup for the Bucks, like we said, and it ended even earlier than, than what I'd predicted. But um, this Heat team is looking really, really good in their matchup with the Celtics. And I'm really curious if that talent level is going to even out now. The Celtics have more to throw at them um, and this ride is going to come to an end or not. You want to jump to the next series or you got more on that one? I want to cover a couple things with the Bucks. I talked a little bit about Miami, but speaking specifically to, to Milwaukee, they got one more year with Giannis on contract. Giannis has shown that he's easy to scout come playoff time. Last year, the Raptors rolled him 4-0 after Milwaukee had a 2-0, 2-0 lead. Maybe uh, Milwaukee gets one more win in this series if Giannis is healthy. Um, and it comes back to his, his game. So many people think he has to shoot threes because that's what everybody does. And so if he shoots threes, that's going to open up his game. Totally not true at all. You don't want Giannis shooting threes. We've talked about this already. Mm-hmm. So where can he expand his game, right? There's, there's this narr- there's, the narrative goes two ways. The narrative is he's got to get out because he doesn't have enough help. Or the other narrative is that he's not the MVP, he's not good enough, blah, blah, blah. And they're both true. They are both 100% true. It's not one or the other. From Giannis's standpoint, he's seven feet tall. People are saying he's got to improve his handle. He really has to improve his handle. Yes, but Kevin Durant is the only seven-footer I've seen in my life with a crazy handle, with a crazy handle. Like he can literally break somebody's ankles. There is no people, there's no people on earth besides Durant that are Giannis's size that can handle the rock. Just think about it from 
the perspective of your legs are, your waist is four feet off the ground. You're, the ball has to go down farther. If you're going to get low to the ground, your legs, your hips, your knees have to bend more than someone who's six feet tall. So from the mechanic standpoint of we got the same size ball, but you're way farther up off, off the ground, it's more difficult to have that crazy shiftiness to your game that you see players that are, you know, six, six and below have in their, in their game. When you think of the greatest ball handlers, who are they? They're guys that are around six foot. I mean, you're thinking Iverson, you're thinking Kyrie Irving. Back in the day, you're thinking Isaiah Thomas, right? Nobody thinks of Magic Johnson as this elite ball handler. Well, even LeBron. Right? That's, that's as dribbling. Or LeBron, right? Size plays a role in how someone plays the game. And, and Le, again, LeBron is four inches t- smaller than Giannis, yes. right? I mean, so that, as big as LeBron is and, and a freight train that he is, it makes more sense for him to have a crazy handle than it would for Giannis just from the way his body is made up. He's a different version of a Shaq. He's so dominant in the paint, but for him to expand his game, how can he do it? He needs to work on moves, reads, instead of getting out in transition, going full speed, and playing bully ball in half court. Because when you're scouting against a good team in the playoffs, it's too easy to wall up. And so if he can get the basketball in different positions on the court where, okay, we tried to attack, we didn't get it. Am I floating around the three-point line and going to shoot a three? I sure hope not. Can we get him in some baseline and cross-screen actions where he's getting the basketball flying down to the post with the defense rotating, moving around, and now it's, hey, it's one or two quick decisions, and then I'm already close to the basket on my catch. I don't have to work on all this energy and trying to blow by somebody from 30 feet away from the basket because I've caught it 10 or 12 feet away from the basket. And one step for me there, it's a dunk. Right. So being able to expand his post game and the variety that he catches there. And also we talked about his mid-range game. The mid-range game isn't just facing the basket. You're going to drive to the basket. Somebody cuts you off and then you pull it in their face. That's what everybody thinks of. But the, the, how was Michael Jordan so successful? How was Kobe Bryant so successful? Their mid-range game was also the ability to post up in that area and then turn over either either shoulder and shoot. Now is Giannis going to be the shooter that in the mid range that Kobe or Jordan was? Of course not. Hardly anybody ever has been or will be right. They're two of the, the greatest, but for him to be able to have a variety in his game of low post and mid post catches where he's still seven feet tall. If he gives a little shoulder fake to the left and turns to the right, he's going to be able to shoot a 15 foot mid range like nobody's even in front of him, right? But he doesn't have any any of that in his game, right? And so, again, I haven't given up given up on him by any means. What he brings to the court is fantastic. I think he's got the some of the dog as far as being the best player on a championship team. He's got that in him. Um, but if you look at their their final series from last year when they lost to the Raptors. 44.8% shooting from the field, 58% from the free throw line. In the, in the three games before he got injured, 
this this playoff series 45% from the field, 54% from the free throw line. So even worse, right? And, and, and so we haven't seen a jump in his game when it matters most. And you hate to come come back to the free throws. That guy's still airballing free throws. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I think a lot of that stuff is is mental. And I think a lot of it is when your hands are really, really big, it is harder to shoot a free throw. Not that you can't do it, right? Because Yao Ming was a great free throw shooter. Kawhi Leonard has – as far as we know, possibly the biggest hands in the NBA, he can shoot free throws. But, you know, when, when you're shooting on the little tykes hoop and you got that basketball that when you put your hands on it, you can't even sink it down into the pads of your hand because the ball's so small, it just kind of sits on the edge of your fingers. That's kind of how big his hands are on, on that basketball. So I think it's difficult to get touch when your hand is almost too big for, for the basketball. The other thing that I wanted to get to, I'll ask you first. Is Middleton good enough to be the second best player on a championship team? No. I, I think that we we discussed that a little bit in regards to like a Golden State Warriors, like how they had their third guy. And again, that was an all-time team. Um, but how their third guy would have been a second guy on most teams. And they're, they have the opposite right now. Middleton needs to be a third guy. And there's a every team in the league is wondering, I think how they find like that next Jimmy Butler, because Jimmy is not, he's not a Kawhi, but he's having a lot of the same effects on a team that Kawhi has. And man, the Bucks could use a player like that. I mentioned CP three earlier, how I think they should try to make a run at him. The money would be crazy, but I have been seeing that there are some possibilities that they might try to figure out a way to get him there. So I think Middleton has to be the third option. Middleton, obviously, if he's the third best player in your team, he's he's in a sense for a championship team. If you're going to have a the third best player in your team, he's over an overqualified third best player, right? Where Middleton on some teams would be the best player, right? For for certain teams in the in the NBA, um, majority of teams second best player for a championship team. If he'd be your overqualified third best player, but I do think that there are some teams that it, with the right fit, he could be your second best player if the third player is very overqualified. Okay. Tate, they may have had this player on their team already. And they shipped him off to Indiana. I think that if they would have kept Malcolm Brock, this was a huge mistake. All right. Mm-hmm. They kept Bledsoe. And if you were to even flip those two be great if you keep them both but if they were to flip those two I think of a lot of the issues that Milwaukee had in this series was the inability to have a creator up top in the ball screen a person that could knock down perimeter shots who made sound smart decisions who was basically a leader on the court for more of a point guard position it was Malcolm Brockton yeah for much of the season right he, he was your best guy for I mean he's He's done his thing and shown how valuable of a player he is down in Indiana. So I look at this team and I say, if they had Giannis doing Giannis things, if they had Middleton not relied upon to be such this creator, things aren't going well for Giannis, you got to step up and, and really 
take over the game. If they had Brogdon to plug back into that to make a lot of those on-ball decisions while still he's not overlapping either one of those guys. So that's, that's balance is when you have three guys that can really play, but they don't overlap each other. Nobody's overlapping Giannis, period. But Brogdon's game complements Middleton's game so much where Middleton can almost thrive and be even better because Brogdon's out on the court in the type of game that he has. That would have been a huge thing. Just that one piece. Sometimes we think the difference is this huge piece, this huge player, not to minimize what Brogdon can do because I'm, I'm talking him up right now, but sometimes it's, it's a name, right? He's not a big name player, right? And he was arguably the third best player on the team last year, but with the way that the East has shaped out, with the blueprint that Miami has shown, with the success that they've had, it's not that far off to say one player who fills a big hole that Milwaukee had may have shifted an entire series or the entire playoffs. Mm-hmm. And so can they get a guy like that back for next year? I think it'll be the question. Um, yeah, Brogdon's a great example. So there's differences between him and CP3, um, but Brogdon is a very good defender. I think he averaged close to like eight assists this year. Um, he was a much better shooter at the point guard position than Eric Bledsoe. And also I think his assist to turnover ratio is really, really solid. And for a guy like Bledsoe, it, he has to, he's almost in the mold of a Westbrook where he can make some plays, but he has to be a little bit wild to do it. And risk, there's risk with that. And then there's the inconsistencies in the playoffs. And so, yeah, I think I was very, very surprised when I saw that that Brogdon walked after last year and they didn't really put up much of a fight to keep his services. Um, that's, a, that's a really good point in terms of, you know, having a third guy, but, but can it be an overqualified third guy where when you're talking about a seven-game series – where you can go back at the box score and look and be like, oh, wow, in game three, our quote-unquote third guy led us in scoring. Or in game four, led us in scoring. Or fourth quarter scoring. Uh, Those are all things that I think the championship teams of the past have in common, is they have those guys that that can step up on any given night and make those plays. And I think Middleton could do that. He's just in a tough spot right now. Yeah, right. for the most part, Middleton showed a lot of a lot of great stuff, and uh, I mean, he showed he's he's legit. He's got game, but they didn't have enough. And uh, the last thing that I'll say about that is Milwaukee defensively really showed some holes, and um, you know, they, with some of their help side defense and also some of their individual defense, Miami was really able to move the basketball and seemed like get a solid shot throughout the course of this series. Um, so some of the games were closer than others, but Miami was, was winning the series, Giannis healthier or not. Um, the game was easier for them when you're watching than it was for Milwaukee. So on to the next series. What do we got? Yes. Yeah, so the next series, um, your prediction came, became 100% true. Mine was just off, uh, was the Celtics versus the Raptors. We had both said that it was going to go seven games I picked the Raptors. You picked the Celtics. You were correct. Um, In terms of my prediction, I thought that maybe the Celtics team was still like a year away from from being able to take a series like this when when, uh, you're throwing all the chips in. 
you know, did the Raptors have more guys because of their championship experience that you could rely on in a game seven? That was, that was what I thought. And then you had said, there's just too much talent on the Celtics team to, to think that they won't win a game seven. And uh, you were exactly right. They have so many guys. Um, they have Tatum and Brown at the wing positions that I think a lot of teams just would kill to have is that kind of depth at the wing. They're both really good defenders. And then you have Kemba Walker, who maybe is that like overqualified third guy right now. He's a perennial all-star and he's kind of switching. Tatum is going to be your best guy most nights, night in and night out. Um, Kemba Walker is going to kind of probably be doing some switching with Brown in terms of you know being the second leading scorer on most nights. And that is a really good top three. And that is a ton of talent. And I think that that is why, you know, they beat the Raptors in seven. Um, this was an amazing series. You saw, I think what the Raptors culture is really all about and how important Kyle Lowry is to that culture. He is so annoying on defense, um, the whining to the refs, all these things. But with that, you also get this incredible toughness and this incredible leadership. And he's one of those, he's one of those stars. Like, you know, when you look at him, like how, how is a guy that looks like that having such a major impact on the game? And we keep comparing the effect that he has to what Jimmy Butler does. I mean, you think about Paul George, you look at Paul George and you look at Jimmy Butler and you're like, give me Paul George every day of the week. And then maybe once you watch him play and you hear about the impact that they can have on a team, you're like, eh, I'll take Jimmy Butler instead. And so Lowry is a lot like that. Um, And all those guys that participated in that championship last year came back really even better. I mean, Van Vliet, um, and the, the way that he's now a, a bona fide starter for them and, and can lead them on a lot of nights. Um, and Siakam, like this series was not a great series for him. He kind of got exposed in a lot of ways. He's, he's very good. He can still be the future of that team, whether he can be a first option or not in the years to come, I don't think has been answered, but it's tough sledding, man, when you're a wing and you're going up against the likes of Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. And just because you're the same height as them, you're kind of expected to maybe produce in the same ways as those guys. And that is tough. That is some crazy talent on the wing. So I really like this Celtics team. I probably should have picked them. You know, when you look at how the games were, were played, the way that I was looking at was if it was, I, I said in the previous podcast, my heart says Toronto. And, and so what I mean by that is if they were to play one game, win or go home, and I know it came down to, to game seven, but that's not, that's not what I'm talking about. If it was just one game, I would probably pick Toronto to win a one out of one. But when it comes to a seven-game series, the talent I feel like almost always – is what takes the team over the top. So you look at the seven games, two out of the four wins for Boston were not close. Game five, easy win for Boston. Game one, easy win for Boston. And then, so now it's a, it's a 2-0 as far as who has the ability to blow out the other team. Mm-hmm. Top end Boston is better than top end Toronto, right? So now you're looking at, okay, there's there's five games left in that series make or break tough pinpoint decisions. 
who is the team that I would give an advantage to if it was just a possession by possession game. You're talking the heart, the communication, the decision making, the veteran leadership. It would be Toronto, right? Well, Toronto did win three out of the five close games. They just, you know, so they won the majority of those close games. But when it came to top end, somebody just being able to blow the brakes off somebody else, that's where the talent shines through for for Boston. I mean, Toronto had a three-point win. Toronto had the unbelievable 0.5-second three-point shot, one-point victory. Their biggest win in the series was by seven, right? And so you think about that was a seven-game series. And in the wins, Toronto only outscored Boston by a combined total of 11 points. That's crazy, right? I mean, to think about how close those games were. And so, as you mentioned, a credit to Toronto, a credit to Nick Nurse, to Kyle Lowry. I hate the flopping. I can't stand the flopping. He's all over the place. Um, That drives me nuts. Same thing with Chris Paul. Like, what's one of the reasons that I don't really – can be a huge Chris Paul fan. He's flopping all the time. He's always talking to the referees, but his game is elite, right? And Lowry's game, his leadership, his ability to galvanize a group of people around him, say, hey, let's let's go with this. Come on, hop, hop on my back. Like we're going is what it takes to be great. Like by all accounts, Lowry is a much better player than he should be. We can all agree on that, but he's got that, that it factor as far as being able to get a group and lead a group. Siakam, a lot of the same things that we talked about Giannis with his game. There's some holes in his game. And during the regular season, it's easy to run up and down and teams are playing back to back and they're traveling and it's one night here and then we got to fly to another city. And so it's easy to dominate a series more so based on your speed, your athleticism and your energy. But you need much more than that in a playoff series that you, you're, you know, game on, game off. They're in a bubble, right? There's no travel or anything like that. And so the, the scouting and the energy, the scouting becomes easier and the energy isn't as important because everybody's got the energy now, right? Wow. It's, it's a winner go home situation. So that was really shown. And, and Siakam, many of those same issues that Giannis has as far as what he can do to expand his game. You know, I'm not even going to repeat them all because you look at what Giannis can do to improve. And I would argue a lot of those same things about Siakam. So um, it was a great series. I feel I'm happy for Kemba Walker. Good Mm -hmm. to see him, you know, be able to make a conference finals. And although Toronto had the championship pedigree of basically running their team back minus Kawhi Leonard, Tay, this was the third conference finals for the Celtics in the past four years. Do you know that? I know we forget that. I, I keep thinking like, I think they're still a year away. And then I'm looking, I'm like, but, but are they, I should have remembered that before this prediction, because it's not like, it's not like they haven't been doing it these last couple of years. So that's surprising. I don't know that most people realize that. So yeah, they, they're, they're experienced young, but experienced now. When it comes to this next series, so much of winning a playoff series is who is the best player in the series or who are the couple best players in the series. So if you had to name the top five players in this series between Miami and Boston, who would you pick? So I think that 
a majority of them are going to be on the Celtics. So of course, Jimmy Butler and Jason Tatum are going to be in there. A Jalen Brown. Um, I'm probably going to throw Kemba Walker in there. Well, and, we'll list them. Who, who's yeah. the best player? Who's the second best player? What do you think? Dude, that that's tough. I think that the best player is Jason Tatum. I think in this series, it's probably going to be Jimmy Butler. So one, Jimmy Butler, two, Jason Tatum, three, Jalen Brown, four, Dragic, five, Kemba. So this is interesting. So, so because, so you got, you think Jimmy's the best player. Mm-hmm. Tatum's the next best player. Jalen Brown, then Dragic. So three out of the top five, in your opinion, are guys for, for the Celtics. That's, that's the intriguing thing about this series is because I feel like you can pick who may be the best player or even the top five best players. And I still don't know if it gives you a good enough feel for who's going to win the series. Whereas you look at many of the the series that we've, we've watched, like, you know, Los Angeles is an easy one. People are getting all excited about, you know, Portland's going to upset them in the first round. Who are the best two players in the series for the most part, really? Yeah. LeBron and Anthony Davis. Okay. Next round. Oh, the Rockets, they got a chance. They're going to, you know, they could really give him trouble. No, they, they can't give him trouble because L.A. has the two best players in the series. They're on the same team, right? So um, many times we, we overcomplicate it. But in this situation, it is complicated. And you didn't even pick the five that I would pick. Like, I think Jimmy Butler's your, your best player. Just I think you throw in some of the intangibles. Um, Tatum's your second best player. The third best player in the series, in my opinion, is Adebayo. Um, I, th- I think that he can really give the interior of Boston trouble. And he's versatile enough to switch off. And he can guard a Tatum. He could guard a Brown on a possession. Do you want him doing it all the time? No, that would take away from some of his best strengths. But he has the ability to, to do that. And he's so strong. He's got some of the old school strong post-player game that we wish we saw more of where he's like, I'm just going to stick around the basket and I'm going to slam it on somebody. And I'm going to, I'm going to tear the the screws off the backboard when I dunk it, you know, he's got some of that, some of that in him. So I think he's the third best player. And I think he might be the most unique player in this series as far as someone else from Boston being able to overlap him. They cannot overlap at a bio. So that's why I put him at number three. Fourth best player for me is Walker. I think that he is the best point guard in the series. I know Jimmy Butler plays a lot of point at times for, for Miami. Um, but he, even though he's undersized, he's a shot creator, makes great decisions. He gets picked on defensively because of his height, but he can play D. Like he plays good, positional, on-ball defense, all that stuff. He can play. Um, the, the fifth best player for me was a toss-up. But I got to go Jalen Brown. I think what he does offensively and defensively, he's a guy that can get you 20 and you never even ran a play for him because he just he attacks, he offense rebounds, he gets out in transition, he locks up defensively, and he can he can play. But Goran Dragic, he impressed me so much. I mean, the guy's in his mid-30s in the ability that he had to tear up the Milwaukee defense. If he, if he can play equal 
to a walker, Miami's got this for sure, in my opinion. Yeah. Okay, because yeah, I think so. Um, so the the he's he's the player that I'm looking at most in this whole series. He's not. Is, he's I kind of have him tied honestly with Jalen Brown as far as where he where he ranks, but as far as being the player that pushes one of these teams over the edge, which way or another, he's the guy. He's the guy that could put Miami over the top. If he doesn't show up, I think we're going to look back at the series and say that might have been the reason that Boston won is because Miami didn't have this this ball handler, decision maker, creator that was really able to control a lot of facets of the game when Jimmy Butler was off the ball. When Miami has struggled, that's one of the things that we've seen is that as, as awesome as it is to watch Hero and Duncan Robinson and the variety of talent that Miami has. I mean, they are so fun to watch, fantastic to watch. But when they've struggled, we don't have the playmaking ability of Jimmy because he's more off the ball. And then who do we have on the ball? And if Dragic isn't impacting the game the way he, he needs to at the Eastern Conference finals level, I think that's going to be advantage Boston. See, I'm kind of looking at it differently. I see it as if I had to bet, I would say that Dragic in a lot of ways is going to outplay Kemba and Boston is still going to win. So I'm, I'm already giving my prediction. Um, but the things that I saw him do against Milwaukee, I'm thinking, yeah, I, th- I think that he can do that against Boston too. Um, but then Boston, the further you go down the line, the more guys that they have. Like they – they have guys further down their roster that I think can impact a game more heavily than what the Heat do, and the Heat are very deep too. Um, and so we haven't even talked about Marcus Smart yet, and he's not in either of our top five, but he can wildly impact a series because he is such a good defender, and he also hits timely shots. Like It's crazy to say that about Marcus Smart, but just rewind two years ago, he would play the first three quarters and then sometimes the coach couldn't even put him in in these fourth quarters, even though he's your best defender because he's going to shoot a wild three pointer, probably an ill-timed one. And he might have some turnovers. And now he's counted on as that dude that is going to make plays throughout the game. And so that's, that's why I really like the Celtics team now is that I think the, the bit players for the Celtics are going to be able to show up in a way that even the, the Miami Heat's bench guys won't be able to. That's interesting. So let's make our picks. Let's make our picks. It sounds like you're already going, going that direction. I like it. So who wins the series and in how many games? So I think that this is going to be another classic series. Like when you look back on the Celtics Raptors series, I couldn't believe how great of a series that was. Like the, the, I was tuning into these games and my wife was getting really excited. And just cause you knew it was going to be a back and forth. And there were some of those games where it's like Lowry comes down, drills a three. And then somebody from the Celtics come down, drills a three and then Powell drills a three. And it was just back and forth, back and forth. And I think it's going to be the same, the same thing with this game with the series where it's going to be like a battle of wills. And I think it's going to go seven and I'm actually picking the Celtics this time because they have, guys that are just going to be able to get it done from Jason Tatum all the way down to, to a Marcus smart. 
And I want people to keep an eye on the Jimmy Butler, Marcus Smart thing, because there are going to be moments in the series where they're going to really go at each other. And if there's a defender that can possibly get Jimmy out of his game, I think it's going to be Marcus Smart. He's just as physical as Butler. He's not going to give any space in the post. He's not going to let Jimmy play bully ball in the same ways that, that maybe he's used to. And they have a little bit of a history too. I was watching an old clip of um, Jimmy Butler and Marcus Smart. They were interviewing Jimmy about this. They had gotten in each other's face in a previous game. And Jimmy was like, you know, Marcus isn't about that life. He needs to, he needs to know not to get in my face because I don't play that. And I love clips like that, particularly when it's between two guys where I'm convinced they're both about that life. Like you got one guy who's saying he doesn't want this. And I'm like, no, I'm, I'm pretty sure he would. And so I love that. I'm looking forward to that matchup in this series uh, in particular. I love how Marcus Smart has transformed himself into the, the NBA player that he became. I remember him coming out of Oklahoma State, ability to create off the dribble, score in a variety of ways, and really said, you know, I'm going to be one of the best defensive players in the NBA. And he still goes crazy sometimes. And, you know, I mean, when he shoots 10 threes, I don't think that's a good thing for, for Boston, right? But um, he has the ability to get the group to believe in him. And he's one of those guys that he does so many things, you just you can't take him off the court. And um, so that's an interesting matchup. One of the reasons why – so I'll make my prediction first and then explain why. I think it's, I think it's Miami. I'm also picking seven games. I think it's really close. But I'm picking Miami. It's interesting what you talked about with Marcus Smart and Jimmy Butler. The thing about Miami is Marcus Smart is a lockdown defender. But I don't think if, – if he really does his job against Jimmy Butler, the Heat can still win because – Jimmy Butler doesn't need to score 30 a game for Miami to win this series. I don't even know if he needs to score 25 a game for them to win the series. So Marcus Smart's ability to be a lockdown defensive player, you know, in my opinion, if, if Jimmy Butler can still give you 20 to 25 and maybe have a, a game here or there where he gets 30, that's, that's enough for him to win. And I think he can do that throughout the course of the, of the game, even with a high-level player like Butler – like, like Marcus Smart guarding him. Butler's ability to make the extra pass, to be unselfish with the ball, to not ISO for such an extended period of time where the offense gets stagnant really, really impresses me. Um, and I think that his trust level for guys like Hero, for Duncan Robinson, for, for Dragic, even at a bio to, to do some things is what I really like about, about this team. Now, Boston has been here before. Miami has not. And a lot of people jumped on the Miami bandwagon, some, somewhat myself included, after basically the first round of the playoffs. Like before the NBA playoffs started, I picked the Bucks to go to the finals. Right? I watched the first round of the playoffs, and I said, no, this Miami team, I don't see anybody beating them. Right? And so – Basically, I'd pick Miami in my mind to go to the finals after I saw the first round of the playoffs. I mean, that's just kind of how I, how I had felt about it. And their ability to 
just have that variety of game where Taylor, Jimmy could be off one night. He can still win. There's, there's a variety of players who can have an off night, but it's just like, who's, who's rolling tonight? And defensively, do they match up perfectly with guys like Tatum and Brown and Walker? I mean, those are three perimeter guys that can really do some, some damage. No, nobody in the team probably does. We're in the, you know, the final two, the Eastern Conference Finals. Teams are going to be fantastic, right? But you combine the, the variety that they have on the inside of the court, I think that's going to be one of the difference makers. So I said it before, Dragic, huge difference maker for Miami. Adebayo, huge difference maker for Miami. And I think through the course of seven games, that's what's going to put Miami over the edge. Interesting, man. Yeah, I just I think that I could make some of the same arguments for the Celtics. And so it's probably why we both have predicted that it's going to at least go seven. Um, I'm really excited for this series and just the way that the Eastern Conference playoffs have shaped up have just been I've really, really enjoyed them, um, particularly that particularly that Celtics Raptors series and the heat really the way that they've rolled through these first two rounds. Um, I think it's giving you enough to say like that this is going to be, it's going to be a really great series. And then seeing who comes out of the West. And um, I'm, I'm really curious out of these two teams that make the finals, how confident we'll be picking them against a team like the Lakers Clippers or Nuggets. Like if we're going to remain that confident, even as we move into the West or not. I said before the playoffs started, I think the Lakers are going to win it. I still think the Lakers are going to win it. Um, I think they're playing even better as the playoffs have rolled around. Rondo has been a huge boost to that team. Decision-making, he's hitting threes. I mean, if, if Rondo's hitting threes and doing all the stuff that he, he does out on the court, it's not looking good for the rest of the league with, uh, with what LA has going in store. But um, once this semifinal finishes for the Clippers in Denver, I still think the Clippers are going to win game seven if we want to throw one more prediction out there. Um, I, th- I think the Clippers are going to win game seven. It can be a pretty close game, but I just got a, got a feeling like Kawhi's going, to, Kawhi's going to make a play offensively, defensively. They've been, in my opinion, kind of outcoached and out, outworked and everything um, by Denver the past couple games. I don't see it happening three games in a row. And um, it's going to be what everybody asked for is the LA, LA Western Conference final. Yeah, it's going to be big time. I, I got the Clippers rolling in game seven, too, um, and, and to bring to fruition that battle of LA. Uh, this was really fun, man, revisiting this most recent um, playoff series uh, in the Eastern Conference. And um, we're going to see what shapes up here in the, in the Eastern Conference finals between the Heat and the Celtics. Anything else before we go? Let's go, baby. You guys have a great a great week, Taylor. I was um, doing some lunges, and I know you were doing lunges every day for August. Is that right? Uh, yeah, it would have been maybe that first week in August. Tried to get 30 days in a row. Of how, how, how far? Uh, 400 meters. I sprinkled in some weighted lunges throughout there and then also upped it to 800 meters for a couple days. Um, I, I wanted to go 30 days straight. I'll fully admit that I was 
28 for 30. Um, but I did end up getting 30 days total. Nice. And how did it go? It was great. It was great. 400 meters, um, ended up being relatively easy. And so now more often than not four times a week or so, I'm trying to get 800 meters. Wow. That's a long, that's a long ways. 800 meters. Um, good for you. I just want to see how, how it was going. Um, I know that's, uh, something we've talked about a lot on a lot of podcasts with Jake Holland as, as well. And again, it's just a, a fun challenge where you can go out for 10 minutes. Like last night I went out for, and it took me 10 minutes to do a quarter mile. And I was, I mean, it's hot down here. So I'm dripping, I'm dripping in sweat. And it was just a combination feeling of my body's like, did you just lift weights or did you just go for a run? I can't quite figure out what you just did to me. Um, and that's, that's one of the reasons I like lunging so much is it literally feels like you don't know what you did. It's like, I felt like I lunged for a quarter mile. That's what it, that's what it was. But your body doesn't know almost like my heart rate's really high. I was going for this certain period of time. So that's like running, but my legs are, you know, the, the blood flow. I have a, a pump. It feels like I've been doing squats and leg press or something like that. Yeah. You know, there is, I mean, we've been on this for a while and then Jake Holland, of course, has taken it to a different level, but I don't think that there's any better exercise. Like if you're just trying to get the most out of a couple of minutes that you have, then just do some type of lunge variation. And I know a lot of what you talk about is performance-based. I can speak a little bit to the aesthetics. You know, you're a Kramer. We have the skinniest, tiniest legs. And after that 30 days of, of lunging consistently, my legs have like considerably changed in the quad and the hamstring area and my butt, like my shorts are actually fitting different because I finally have a butt. And, um, so for people that are concerned about that, like, yeah, but what if I just want to get my legs bigger? Definitely like do squats, deadlifts, all that type of stuff. But I would even say that these, um, like long range lunges can have a major impact on, on your leg growth too, as long as you're eating enough. And I'll keep it 100% PG. But what you just said, basically exactly what my wife told me. She's like, Steve, your, your legs are bigger and your butt is bigger. Because, <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, that's what I had to ask. Here. Not your yeah. wife, but my wife. I had to ask. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so, but, but it's true. And, um, you know, so the difference for me was for the past year, I was doing um, a, a variety of angles, but I was doing short. So I was going every single day at least a hundred. So I might do more, might do 150, might do more than that. Um, but I've taken it back. So I've been doing at least four days a week for the past month, but doing a minimum of 400 meters, if not more. And then I'll do at least one day where I'm stationary. So I'm working lateral reverse different angles and, or doing just a hold, a hold. So like a couple of days ago I did three sets each leg for a minute hold in that position, just feeling the, the burn. And then I did weights and without weight going forward, backward, side to side. Um, Cause I want to keep, you know, we talked about the function versus some of the like aesthetics. And I want to make sure that, you know, from a basketball player standpoint, I can move side to side. I can push, push backward as well as I can push, push forward. I can step at an angle and that feels, feels comfortable. So I've continued to put that 
in my, my training regimen and it's feeling good. So I told myself I was going to do it for a month instead of doing the, the year of lunging every single day. And I'm going to go for another month and continue to see how that feels with at least three days a week volume lunges and at least one day a week doing stationary holds, angles, weights, things of that nature. And uh, hopefully the results keep, keep showing uh, both from a physical standpoint and an athletic standpoint. Yeah. Right on. Well, thank you guys so much for tuning into the Die Hard Hoops podcast as we revisited some of the most recent series and also gave you some, some fitness tips here at the end. So big bro, thanks for joining me. And uh, until next time. Peace. You're welcome. Peace.